Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series titled His Story, Our Story. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it's also our story. Thanks for joining us. Well, I've been looking forward to this all week. I I get to say, would you open your Bibles to page one? Genesis chapter 1, and if you're using a black Bible, that should be the easiest invitation I've ever given you when you open your Bibles. Hey, we're going to look at the story of creation today, and if you weren't with us last week, we kicked off this series called His Story, Our Story. We're going to look at the historic, uh, the narrative arc of the Bible, and we're going to just see the big picture, the big story, the grand narrative of the Bible. Why? Because most Americans, including people that go to church, no longer know the story of the Bible. This is what all the research is showing. And I don't know about you, but I've studied the Bible and I still need to be reminded all the time. So no matter where you are on the spiritual map, I'm hoping that this will be beneficial to you. We've prayed about this. We think this could be one of the most helpful series to serve you for a long, long time. So as we start this today, the question may be, why? You know, why is this important? So some of you know that we, uh, during this year, uh, our team is trying to get better at us becoming a multi-generational church. And one of the things we're doing is we're involved in a study right now called Growing Young. There are hundreds and millions of people between the age of 15 and 29 that are no longer interested in church or being involved in, 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 in church. They're disconnected. And so what we're learning from a lot of the research is that uh, more and more about them, not just so we can only focus on that age group, but so that we can be the kind of church we can learn from churches that say, how can we care about every age group and keep staying better at that? And so we've been having listening groups of people of all ages, all the way from 15 up to 90s. And we've had some fascinating learnings. Anyway, here's the thing. What we learned is that people in this age group are specifically interested in three questions, three ultimate questions. Why am I here? How do I fit? And what am I here for? And what I, as I was studying those questions, I thought, those are my questions. Those are the questions of every age group. So if you're wondering why we're doing this series in part and why this particular message today is so important is because if you're following along, all of us long to know a sense of identity. Who am I? Belonging. Where do I fit? Purpose. Why am I here? And so this particular narrative, the story of creation, speaks to some of those questions in a powerful, powerful way. Now, here's the, here's the thing I want you to be thinking about. You have a story, I have a story, God has a story. Learning how all that fits, learning how all that influences and shapes. But here's the thing. Every one of us have different stories or narratives bouncing around in our head that are shaping our lives. And it may not be God's story. It may be somebody other's story. It may be one of your parents. It may be one of your teachers, your coaches, one of your siblings, one of your classmates, somebody at work. And so what's, what story? So if you're following along, what story or narrative is influencing, shaping my life? 
What story or narrative is influencing and shaping my life? Now, again, you've probably seen this, but if you've ever been in conversations with other people, some people will literally drive themselves crazy because of a certain narrative working in their head. Some, some people have told me that they have never forgotten their parents looking at them and saying, you'll never amount to anything. That narrative is working them over. It's shaping their life. So a lot of people try and compensate for that and say, I, I, I'm going to try and prove that that's, you're wrong. Or I hope you're wrong. But then the feeling of defeat, oftentimes, maybe you've had just something. Maybe someone maybe something said something about your appearance or about the way you did something. And the point is, is that all of us have to learn how not to let those things shape us in a way that's destructive. So how does God's story shape us? So today we want to talk about God's story of creation, and then we want to talk about seeing our story in God's story. That's where we want to go. So would you pray with me that God will use this time together to help us in that? Now, Lord, I don't know how you want to apply this message, but I'm so thankful for this part of your story. And I pray that you'll use this for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. I forgot to tell you with this series. Sorry about that. I forgot to tell you about this series that if you turn your notes over, this will just give you a little idea where we're going. By the way, last week we accidentally left one of the weeks out. So this is the actual, the real list, okay? The 13-a-week study. And uh, you'll notice that we're in week two. And if you didn't listen to last week's message or get a chance to be here, I just invite you to do it because a lot of you told me it helped you have a better idea of where we're going and why story is so important. And we said that story is simply an account of imaginary or real people and events. In other words, there are some stories that are imaginary, but we also said God's story is not imaginary. God's story is about real people and events, and it helps us know what he's been doing and what he's up to and what he wants to do. But you'll notice those 13 weeks. And what I want you to know is that this series will take us all the way up to Palm Sunday and Easter. And that's where we're headed right now. Now, if you want to turn your notes back over, I want to ask you if you would um, uh, read the very first verse of the Bible, the very first sentence. It's listed there in that gray box. Would you read it with me, please? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I'll keep reading. Verse two. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We talked a lot about the Holy Spirit before Christmas. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And notice how each day started. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So we see a pattern that's going to start. And I'm not going to read all the verses up to verse 26. But if you um, read those, what you'll discover is that in verses 3 through 5, not only did he make the light by speaking the word, in verses 6 through 8, he made the skies. In verse 9, he made the land. In verse 10, he made the seas. In verses 11 through 13, he created the plants and trees. In verses 14 through 19, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the seasons that they reflect. And in verses 20 through 23, he created the fish and the birds. Verses 24 and 25, the rest in the entire animal kingdom with a word. 
How would you like to just go, I'd like that. And all of a sudden, a huge galaxy came into being. We're talking about a mighty, mighty God who was here before time began. And the Spirit hovered over the waters. So God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, we see were involved in creation. If you look up here, Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, was also involved in creation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. We sang about, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in God the Holy Spirit. And they created this world together in perfect oneness. Just amazing. Just amazing. So if you're following along in the notes, notice that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it's good. It's good. That's a phrase he repeats seven times in those six days. And he saw that it was good. 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 I don't know about you, but I love hearing those words. When God did what he did with creation, it was good. It was good. Oh, man. Well, notice that when we say that he created, if you haven't thought about this, this next line in the notes, created implies intention, a creator, an intelligent design. Created implies intention, a creator, an intelligent design. I've thought about this a lot. If you believe God's story, then when you walk out in nature, you may not just call it nature. You may call it, as we sang earlier, creation. There's a difference. Nature could be anything, but creation implies intention that someone created it, that there was some kind of intelligent design or plan. It wasn't just random. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't unpurposeful. When I was younger, my dad told me a story when I was a boy. In fact, I called him last night just to make sure I remembered it correctly. But he was talking to us, my brother and sister and I, one day, and he said that there were two guys that were co-workers. One was a Christian, one was not. And they often bantered about some of the things in the Bible. And uh, so the Christian co-worker one day brought Uh, a model that he had made over many, many weeks of the solar system. It was really something beautiful. And he happened to place it there on the receptionist desk there at the office. And uh, at the beginning of the workday, then when both he and his coworker walked into the office together, his coworker, who was not a Christian, noticed it. And he said, man, that is beautiful. Who made it? Who brought it? He said, no one. It just happened. He said, come on, seriously. He said, no, see, really, I got here at the office. It just showed up. It just got here. And he said, come on, stop pulling my leg. That is really an amazing, uh, who made it? 
did you make it? And he said, it's interesting you're asking me these questions because in our conversations, you tell me that you see all of this universe, which is trillion times more complex than this model that I just made. And you're convinced that someone had to make this model, but you're not convinced that someone had to make this world. And their conversations, he never ever was derogatory about creation again. Not because he necessarily believed God's story, but it had caused him to think about the fact that when we see what we see, we can either believe it's nature or we can believe it's creation. Now, as we think about that together, notice as the story continues to unfold, let me read verse 26 and to 31 of chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Excuse me. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I've listed verses 28 down in the, thir- in the second gray box. Would you read that with me next, please? Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very, very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, as you think about all that, what I want you to see is that if you're following along, man and woman are made by God in his image. Man and woman are made by God in his image or likeness. This is a fascinating thing. God is saying, look, I'll still be God. They'll be separate from me, but they will have my likeness. They will have some of the same capabilities that we have. And this is just an awesome thing. In other words, there's this ability that he put into the man and the woman And as you read this, as you read both the first two chapters of Genesis, you're struck by just the personal care, concern, and attention to detail that he puts into creation and to especially human beings. And when you think about this, this is why you and I have never, ever locked eyes with someone who wasn't made by God. The Bible says everything that's been made, he has made. Now, people say, well, I thought human beings procreated and that's how it happened. Look, that that can also be true at the same time. But the grander narrative is that God was involved. And therefore, every person you've ever met was made in the image of God. We're image bearers. That's where we get our dignity. That's where we get our value and our preciousness if we trace it all the way back. 
And so I love Psalm 100. It's a great psalm of praise. But I was thinking about these words. It says, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us. I like this next phrase. Would you read this last phrase with me? And not we ourselves. So I just wanted to tell you guys, in case you didn't know, I didn't make me. I I can't claim any credit for that. But I can give God credit for making me. Made by God. This is one of the things we see in the creation narrative is that people are made by God. Fascinating. If you um, want to know up here, if you haven't already noticed this piece of artwork here, uh, Hannah Struck, uh, one of our uh, people in our church family, contributed this. And on the back of the bulletin column, by the way, there's an explanation that she gives as well if you want to come up and visit that. And we told you last week that what we're going to have is a narrative arc to remind us of we'll have a piece of art for every one of the different weeks. But if you want to come up and look at that more, you can enjoy what one of the people in our church family did. But on the back of the bulletin column, Chuck has written that our team thought, what if our church family had an art project during this series? where each one of us were invited to create a piece of artwork for some of these different weeks. And the reason why is because we actually believe this will help us see God's story better, but also help us see ourselves in God's story. And isn't it interesting that oftentimes children are more willing to create pieces of art than we adults are because now we're more scared and more self-conscious. Now, whether you consider yourself an artist or not, would you consider either as an individual or as a family, we're going to ask all ages to make a piece of art during this series. And you can read, you're going to hear more about that. We're going to send out a group email and there'll be a way for you to be able to pick up a 16 by 20. We've already got some examples of other people in our church family that are contributing out in the lobby and we'll continue to display those. And it'll be fun to kind of see what will do it. And so I'm going to try and do this, me, me, like non-artist Jeff is going to try and get involved in that too. And I just invite you to join me. But it's one of the ways that we can think about, again, that God created us in his image. Think about this. This means that whether you believe this about yourself or not, you have creativity. You may have gotten lost with that along the way. It may have gotten beaten down. But this means that you have the ability to create some things because you're made in the image of God. This means that you can actually do some things with the arts. This means that he's given us all these different arenas to be involved in because we're made in the image of God. So let me just continue. Notice uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Let me read that next. Thus, the heavens and the earth were uh, completed in all their vast array. Now, sometimes, by the way, as I start reading this, people say, why does chapter 1 and chapter 2 oftentimes seem, seem, to kind of overlap and repeat itself. What I want to just say is, if you're trying to understand chapter one and chapter two, in part, there's a couple of things that may help. One is that chapter one has a lot to do with how human beings related to the rest of creation. And while chapter two has some of that too, chapter two is much more about how human beings related to God and to each other. And so that's just one overview. But here's one more thing I just want to say. Because as I was preparing this message, I just knew that some people are going to say, now, are you going to talk about whether or not there were six literal 24-hour days? Are you going to talk about young earth or older earth? Are you going to talk about evolution? Are you going to talk about all those things? And I'll just say this, no. 
Here's why. Not because it doesn't matter. In fact, we have people in our church that pour themselves, study this, get very excited about this. And I have a lot of respect for them. What I want to say, though, is that sometimes if we, if we get that focused in or we start debating over all those things, what happens is we miss the grand narrative. The bottom line of God's story is that God created the world. Now, again, you may discount that. that you may not want that part of your story. But we feel like it's our job as a church family is to present the incredible story of what God's done and is doing and is up to. In fact, I really appreciate what a couple authors that I was reading this week said. In these chapters, we are told the story of creation, but not to satisfy our 21st century curiosity concerning the details of how God made the world. For example, we wonder whether God created over a long period of time or he caused all that he made to spring into existence instantly. However, the Genesis story is given so that we might have a true understanding of the world in which we live, its divine author and our own place in it. And so I want to just present that today, knowing that, again, I appreciate some of the things that so many different people uh, inside and outside the church think of. I was actually thinking, I, some of you know I've played uh, tennis indoors year-round for over 20 years now. And part of the reason I did when I moved back here, joined the Racket and Fitness Center, is because I wanted to find ways to hang out with people outside our church, as well as people inside our church. So I, I've played tennis with a guy that I have so much respect for. He grew up in a scientist family. His, his sister is like off the charts brilliant, and so is he. And we would talk, and he would, he would say to me, he, he admitted, I'm not a believer. And so he would say, you know, I really struggle with the Genesis story. And part of what I learned is that he struggled is he was trying to read this story with 21st century eyes, without understanding that the author that wrote this was trying to say, here are the basics of what happened at the beginning. Here's an account. And for some people, I know this feels like such a stretch, but that's what reminds me of those two coworkers, is that sometimes you got to explain, how did we get here? How did this world happen? And I, I continue to appreciate conversations with people that think differently than me about this. But I just keep coming back to the amazingness of God's story. So notice this, verses uh, 2 and following. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And this is just a beautiful thing. This is part of why we also um, uh, think about a space and time for a rhythm of rest. But this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams, think about this. You guys, anybody have a sprinkler system? But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. 
the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you're following along, what I hope you'll see is that not only were man and woman made by God in his image, but made for God, he entrusts them with responsibility. Made for God, he entrusts them with responsibility. What responsibility? Well, in the second gray box, we already read it. Sometimes this verse is called the creation mandate. Do you notice what he did? Once he created man and woman, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern over it. In other words, I'm giving you responsibility to be involved. I want you to be someone who's actively involved in this whole process. I want you to do it with me. And he gives them responsibility. Some of us hate that word. But here's what I love. Response means we can respond to the one who made us. And ability means we have the ability to do some things as well as respond to his ability. And when you and I are involved like that, Adam and Eve were involved in different ways. He, uh, he, he told them, look, I've got a big plan for the world and it includes you. And I'm going to give you meaningful, purposeful, significant responsibility. And it's going to be something that will actually exalt you rather than dehumanize you. And this is just an amazing thing. So let me go on. Made to do life with God in deep relationship made to do life with God in deep relationship. Did you hear what I just said in those last few lines? Made by God, for God, to do life with God. If someone asks you, what is the creation story all about? Is that people like you and me were made by God, for God, to do all of life with God. That has helped me more than you can possibly know. And so when we begin to understand that that's what God was up to, in the creation story, it is powerful. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. But made to do life with God in deep relationship. Let me read verses 15. By the way, um, I'm not going to read verses 10 through 14, but it just says there were some really cool rivers. Okay? Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, the man, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, Yahoo. That's what it means in Hebrew. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Let me unpack this. So we're made to do life with God in deep relationship. Do you notice some of the ways that God related? Not only did God relate, but God actually said, 
Uh, he brought animals to the man and said, what are you going to name them? Now, I've thought about this a lot. God could have named all the animals and just said, let me introduce you by name to all the animals. Instead, he said, I want you to name them. And I used to think this was an easy thing. I, dog, cat, you know, I thought it was like that. But has anybody ever studied taxonomy? Genus, species, our whole scientific world of naming is a fascinating thing. And part of that is that God involved the man in this process and said, let's do this together. You name them. And whatever you name them, I'm going with that. Powerful. But not only that, but also it says he placed him in a garden. And he, when he, can you imagine? I mean, I, when I was a kid, I watched Dr. Doolittle. And I was amazed by his inner relationships with all these animals. But can you imagine living in this garden like he did? And this relationship. And in chapter 3, verse 8, which Steve will teach us on next week, we realized that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There was a relationship going on. There was a relationship. In fact, God knew the man so well. He said, you know what? It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make helper suitable for him. So if you're following along, um, notice that God says it's not good to be alone, but in community. God says it's not good to be alone, but in community. I already told you that in in that six days of creation, seven times he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. The one time in the first two chapters that he says, it's not good, is when he looks at the man and he says, he needs another human being. Why? Because after he named all the animals, there was no helper suitable for him. You see, a giraffe or a zebra just wouldn't do. And he brings the woman to the man. And the man says, this is someone else I can do life with. This is a human being like me. And it's this awesome, awesome thing. You know, is it okay if I just share with you something about women that the Bible says Uh, I mean, that uh, one of the commentators of the Bible wrote years ago. Can I just share this? Some of you may feel like I'm trying to get points, but let me share it with you. It's by Matthew Henry. Okay, it's a quote uh, by him. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And there was this sense of partnership There was this sense of doing life together, and they oversaw the garden together. This is an amazing thing. It continues on. Notice this, that God creates a place there to steward and enjoy. God creates a place there to steward and enjoy. Now, when when I say garden, by the way, do you picture a 10 by 12 garden in your backyard? Do you picture Lincoln Memorial Gardens? I would encourage you to think of a national park. This was an amazing world. Trish and I hope to visit as many national parks as we can. But when you go into a national park and you see all that's going on there, you realize God has this ability to create wonders upon wonders. And he placed them in the Garden of Eden. He placed them. He had a very specific purpose for them. And their job was to do two things, to steward it. So he says, be fruitful, like govern over this. Make sure your interactions with the way that you take care of creation is well done. But also enjoy it. So he created trees that were good for food, but beautiful to the eye. 
And so they must have gotten up each morning and said, what a place. What a place. You ever been to a place like that where all you can do is say, what a place. And he put them in there for that reason. If you're following along, notice that God sets generous and healthy boundaries for them. God sets generous and healthy boundaries for them. Notice how he says it. He says, you can eat. How many trees could they eat fruit from, friends? All of them, except one. Why would God do that? Because he's mean? To me, it's pretty generous. Hey, any of these, go for it. But he said, there's one you must not eat from. What does God know that we don't know? What did God know that they didn't know? And so he says, I'm warning you, please don't eat from that. Because on the day you eat of it, you will surely, what? Die. So he loves them enough to tell them the truth. And he sets these generous boundaries. And you know, friends, I don't know about you, but some of us think that real life is having no boundaries. Real life is having good boundaries and learning how to live well with those boundaries. So the last thing here I want you to see is unashamed. They live in rich community with nothing to hide. Unashamed. Can I just... Can you say that word with me? Unashamed. One of the things that so many of us live with is shame. Unashamed. Can you imagine being free of that? Unashamed, they live in rich community with nothing to hide. People, when sometimes, especially if you tell kids that they were naked, kids oh, like that. And a lot of times we just picture naked bodies walking around. I'm not saying that they weren't naked physically. I'm just saying there's so much more to that phrase than that. When you and I can be transparent, open-faced, there's an intimacy that we have. There's a nakedness that we no longer have to cover ourselves, hide ourselves. It's just an amazing time. Now, this is how the narrative ends. The first two on creation. It's very good. Nothing to hide. In community. Walking with God. So how do we see ourselves in this story? I want to talk to you about the three things I mentioned at the beginning. Seeing our story in God's story. First, I want to just remind you of what I said at the beginning, those three lines of by God. Here it is. Would you read this with me? We've been created by God, for God, to do all of life with God. This is why God created the world, why he created us. And so first, it addresses our identity. And uh, so identity first question I I think all of us need to ask ourselves is, do I believe I've been made by God? When love and attention to detail, my parents used to have a little uh, plaque when I was growing up. I think it was in my mom's laundry room or somewhere in our house. And it just said, God don't make no junk. God don't make no junk. Every time I do a funeral, I start by saying, We want to thank God for making this person. Because like snowflakes, he never makes any person the same as another person exactly. That's incredible skill. But that means that every person... I shared a few months ago about a lady who was mentally handicapped in our church in Iowa and how she had this ability to touch our church family in a way and we could tell she was made by God. Tremendous value. When I was a youth pastor here in the 80s, I went to a Michael W. Smith. I took our kids to a Michael W. Smith concert. And for some reason, he had been memorizing Psalm 139 at that time. And he said, it's okay before I sing any more songs. I just want to quote Psalm 139. And he did from memory. But he came to this section 
uh, of Psalm 139. And I remember just being absolutely just struck by that. Do, do, we, do we have, okay. We're having problems with the back screen. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I remember when he says, your workmanship is marvelous, wonderful. And then he said, I know that full well. Can I just ask you, do you know that full well? Has anybody ever told you that you're made by God? Now, some of us go, yeah, and he, I don't like the job he did. He could have done a lot better on this, this, and this, and this. We live in such a comparison culture. But do you realize that God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you? Have you worshipped him for it? Do you believe that? Do you believe that's where your dignity and value comes from? The second thing is belonging. Do I know that I'm made for God to be his child? Do I know I'm made for God to be his child. Years ago, I heard a couple different people from the past, a man named Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician and physicist. This guy was a genius. We still use some of the math that he, he, he discovered. But here's what he says. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, the creator made known through Jesus Christ. There is a God-shaped vacuum inside every person, and it can only be filled by God. Augustine said this, uh, one of the great church fathers, O Lord, you have, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We are made by God, for God. Do you believe that? The last thing is, do I know he's placed me here as his steward? Do I know that he's placed me here as his steward? One of the reasons we teach the network class is because we want to help every person understand what's the God-given design that God has for you. What gifts, what talents, what abilities, what spiritual gifts has he given to you so that while you live your time here on earth, you don't waste your life. You know why you're here. You're here to glorify God. You're here to reflect God. You've been made by God, for God, to do all of life with God. And as you and I live that way, at Christmas Eve, I said this. This means that you and I can shine in this dark world. Because we understand that God has made us. No matter what somebody else says about us, we still know we're made by God. And that means that we know we're made for God. He wasn't just messing around and say, I'll make one of those. I'll make one of those. He was saying, I'll make one of those so they will have a purpose and they can do life with me so they'll have a sense of belonging. And because I made them, they'll have an identity that can make them keep getting up in the morning with a different bounce in their step. I just close with this. There was a guy named Fred Craddock who died a number of years ago. He was a preaching teacher, a professor. And he told the story of how he was once up in the Smoky Mountains. And he sat down at a table. And as he and his wife were looking out over this beautiful view, a man came and sat down in his 80s. And just a really friendly guy. 
And uh, they talked to him, and he says, you know, I was born back in those woods. And uh, they said, well, this is interesting. And he started telling their story. They didn't even ask him, if, you know, to tell them their story. But he says, back there, he says, uh, you don't know this about me, but I was born out of wedlock. He said, man, kids were mean to me. He said, I, every, I would hide. I, I would get home to school as fast as I could. I just, I never knew. I was so ashamed. The things they would say about my parents, the names they would call me. And he said, but the one place I felt safe was the back of a church on Sunday morning. So I'd slip in after everybody had started singing and I'd slip out before the last song. He says, but one Sunday, the pastor, <laughs> before he finished praying, he ran down the aisle and he got me. And he said, who are you? I thought, oh no. He said, I, I know who you are. You're a child of God. Now go live that out. And he said, that's my story. As he walked away, the owner of the restaurant told Fred Craddock he was governor three terms in a row of our state. That man said it changed my life to know who I was and what I was made for. You may not be the governor, but you're no junk. You've been made by God, for God, to do all of life with God. Let's get about it. Will you pray with me? Now, Lord, as we sing this last song, thank you that we live in your world, that this world is creation and not just nature, and that we get to live in it and be stewards with you and enjoy it. And shine so that other people can know that you made them too. And they have a purpose. And they can belong. And they can have an identity that comes from God himself. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.